If you have a Bible, which all of you do, there's a red one in front of you if you didn't bring your own. Um, Hebrews chapter 3, beginning in verse 7, that is page 1185 in the Red Pew Bibles. We're going to venture uh, deep into chapter 4 this morning as we work through this. Um, This sermon series is entitled People Together with God. We are focusing on community here at our church. It's strengthening community, trying to capture the biblical vision for community, which as we talked about uh, for the past couple weeks now, um, it can only be found with people who are together with God. In Jesus Christ is, is community only truly able to be found. The beginning of the sermon series, we're working through different aspects of our relationship with God and how we relate to him, how he relates to us, how we deepen and strengthen our relationship with God. And this morning's sermon is about rest, something that we in 2022 all know how to do really well. That was sarcasm, if you didn't catch that. So yeah, in modern times, if there's one thing we are known by, I believe it is we are becoming known for not being able to rest well, or not even knowing how to rest well. Um, uh, Joseph Piper, he's a, he was a Catholic philosopher. He wrote a lot in the 20th century, a Christian. Um, he said that after World War II, uh, knowing that the war itself was won in part by scientific progress, the nuclear bombs that were dropped on Japan. He said, um, uh, afterwards, this is what's going to happen. He was a bit of a prophet in some ways, kind of foreseeing some things. He says, because we won in that way, scientific progress, we had the biggest weapon, right? Then progress and flourishing of our Western world is going to, over time, become defined not by who we are as a people, by our character, not by the worship that we give towards God or even the religion of our nation, but it's going to be, um, become uh, characterized by our ability to work and achieve. And he said we were going to fall into the world that he called total work. And according to Piper, work would become all-consuming for us. It would become the very point of everything that we do. It would become the point of why we go to school, well, we, take, we go to school just to be trained to go and get a job, and that's it, right? How we think of our identity. Have you ever asked anybody, what do you do for a living? I surely have. I'm trying to rephrase that intentionally because if we're asking that question, what we're really kind of saying is, what is your life, your work, your life? It's the same thing. It's who you are. It's your identity, right? Because that's how we think as a, as a nation. Um, why do we get in 100000 you know, dollars of debt for a college degree only to go and get a job and earn money and then retire from work. Work is the, the sum, the, kind of the sun, okay? If you think of what flings everything into orbit in our country, it's work, and everything kind of circles around work. In this way of life, okay, what becomes of rest? How do we attach value to rest because rest is not working, right? You don't work when you rest, so what's the value? We don't really have a lot of value for that in our country, right? It's almost bragging rights to, you know, not rest, 
It's like, well, I work so hard. I'm working seven days a week. I'm, I'm at it all the time, man. People are like, wow, that guy's a go-getter. He's on a go places in life, right? Because he's working, he's working, he's working. And result of all this over time, if we aren't careful, is that we're going to allow work to be how we justify our existence. And if that's the case, we'll be hearing a whole sermon about work. This isn't about work today, but we'll hear more about this um, next week. If that's how you approach work, you're going to be working forever. You may just find yourself in despair, tired, burned out, and overworked. Because that void within is larger than what your job can fill. And it's larger than the work in front of you. And it's almost guaranteed that if that's where you're at in life, that you don't know how to rest. I remember speaking with a friend some years ago, and this person was constantly, I mean, seven days a week, busy. He was working, had a part-time job on top of his full-time job, always at the gym, always working, always going, 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 going. And I just kind of flippantly asked one day, I said, you know, when's the last time you stopped and just was like, and just took a deep breath and just rested? I was kind of almost joking in a way. And they immediately responded, well, I can't do that because I don't want to be in my own mind. I don't want to face what's there. And they kind of walked out of the room. And I was like, whoa, wasn't expecting that, right? It was an honest moment coming from a very overworked person who was not finding what they were looking for. And I can say a very non-rested person. Maybe that's some of you in this room this morning. Next week, we're talking more about work, but this morning is casting a vision for rest for biblical rest, for spiritual rest, and looking at the true rest of God that is available to us in Christ. You might be surprised what we find, I hope, um, and I hope it can be something that, you know, to, to lead you back to Jesus, to be able to once again learn to take that deep breath and to embrace the rest that we have in Christ, which is available to us even now. So let's start this in verse 7 in Hebrews chapter 3. We're going to work through this today. So as the Holy Spirit says, we're kind of bumping in the middle of an argument here, and we don't have time to work through from the beginning of Hebrews, we're jumping in the middle here, but um, he begins, he says, today if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as you did in the rebellion during the time of testing in the desert, where your fathers tested and tried me, and for 40 years saw what I did. That is why I was angry with that generation, and I said, their hearts are always going astray, and they have not known my ways. And so I declare on oath in my anger, they shall never enter my rest. Verse 12, see to it, brothers, that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God, but encourage one another daily as long as it is called today, so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. We have come to share in Christ if we hold firmly till the the end the confidence we had at first. As has just been said, today, today, we'll see he's This writer writing even thousands of years ago, quoting a psalm written many centuries before himself, he's he's quoting this psalm as saying the Holy Spirit is still saying today, meaning this day. So he's this is addressing you right now in this day. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as you did in the rebellion. 
verse 16. Who were they who heard and rebelled? Were they not all those Moses led out of Egypt? And with whom was he angry for 40 years? Was it not with those who sinned, whose bodies fell in the desert? And to whom did God swear that they would never enter his rest, if not to those who disobeyed? So we see that they were not able to enter because of their unbelief. It's the word of the Lord Jesus. I just ask that you would open our hearts this morning to receive your word as we see at the back end of the sermon today, your heart, your, your word is a, is a sword that is able to come in and to divide in the, in the, the, the smallest of places within our hearts that we could, that we didn't even know that we need your word in, Lord. You, you, your word is powerful. It is inspired by your Holy Spirit, who even today is speaking, who we can hear his voice. Lord, I ask that your word would be that sword that would pierce us this morning. Jesus. Help every word that I preach be reflective of your word and Holy Spirit. Enable this word to go out with power this morning. We love you, Jesus. We pray this in your good and holy and righteous and gracious name. Amen. So a little history here before Israel, way back in our Old Testament, before they entered the promised land, they spent 40 years in the desert. That wasn't kind of part of the original plan, if you will. That was due to their rebellion against God. The psalm quoted here is Psalm 95, written many centuries after that event by David, King David. We will see some interesting things that the author of the letter to the Hebrews does here. He's an anonymous guy or guy, we don't know his name, we don't know who, who wrote it, but he's anonymous, right? But attributing Psalm 95 to the Holy Spirit isn't only really... Uh, attributing to the Spirit as the author, there's some of that. But the, the nature of the Holy Spirit, part of his nature, is that his presence and work is active today, here, and now. And so the author's trying to, to get us to say that the Spirit's speaking, just like he spoke to that first generation, the wilderness, just like he spoke to David writing, he's, he's speaking today, and these scriptures are written that we may have our ears open to that word. Are you listening? That's what he's saying. The Holy Spirit speaking. Are you listening? He says, today if you hear his voice, don't harden your hearts. Like that generation of Israelites heard his voice and they did harden their hearts and they were kept out of the promised land or kept out of the rest of God. As he said, they shall never enter my rest. Now there's something about this story that the author is using to describe the current situation of the church that he was writing this letter to. It was a church, as we can kind of guess here, um, it's a church full of Jews who become Christians. So just as Israel's hearts were hard in the wilderness, keeping them out of God's rest of the promised land, these church, this church, these Christians are perhaps those who were maybe in their midst claiming to be Christians or thought they were, some mix of both perhaps. They also had hard hearts. They also had a lack of faith in the good news of Jesus. And this is a warning passage. That that generation of Israel missed the rest of God. And this people today just may also miss the rest of Christ today if sin and hardness of hearts and unbelief remains. 
Sin causes a break in relationship to God. We've talked about this many a time here. Yes, through Christ, there is forgiveness of that sin. He is with us. He's ever present with us. But like any relationship, relational closeness with God is like gold that is available to us through mining away with the pickaxe of prayer and holiness, right? Sin can keep us from embracing the fullness of the blessing that we have of being in Christ as Christians. So Psalm 95 says, today don't harden your hearts. This is our present warning even to us today. But it also means the rest of God is still available for you and I today. We're going to define what that rest of God is in a moment. But like this early generation of Israel, the rest of God, it can be missed if faith isn't present. If our faith and allegiance to Jesus is weak or absent, his rest will be weak or absent from our lives. Let's continue in chapter 4. He says, therefore, since the promise of entering his rest still stands, right, this offer is still extended to us today, let us be careful that none of you be found to have fallen short of it. For we also have had the gospel preached to us just as they did. But the message they heard, it was of no value to them because those who heard did not combine it with faith. Now we who have believed entered that rest, just as God has said, so I declared on oath, in my anger they shall never enter my rest. Now how do you you fall short of finding that rest? According to the author here, it is through a lack of faith. They saw God's work in their lives, they heard it, but their hearing was not met with faith. They heard, but their hearts did not believe. But what did they hear? He says they heard the gospel, the good news said the author of Hebrews. Now, let's break this down. How do they hear the good news? They were around many a year before Christ. To condense that, it was the good news that would be fleshed out in coming years, but the part of the good news was that in the, in the promised land, God would be near. That all of his covenant promises would be fulfilled in that promised land if they continued in covenant relationship to him and they did not uh, believe those promises. They didn't believe that God said, I will protect you, I will deliver you from your enemies in that land. They constantly tried to do things their own way, to make those promises happen through the work of their own hands, not believing the words and promises of God, and thus they were kept from the rest of God in the promised land. But let's define this rest further. Let's move forward here in verse 4. And yet his work has been finished since the creation of the world. For somewhere he has spoken about the seventh day. This is before chapters and verses were in our Bibles. For somewhere, this is Genesis chapter 2 he's quoting here. And somewhere he has spoken about the seventh day in these words, and on the seventh day God rested from all of his works. And again in the passage above, he says, they shall never enter my rest. So it still remains that some will enter that rest, and those who formerly had the gospel preached to them did not go in because of their disobedience. Therefore God again set a certain day, calling it today, when a long time later he spoke through David, as we said before, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. 
For if Joshua, who was the one who led them in the promised land, if Joshua had give them, given them rest, God would not have spoken later about another day or another rest. So there remains then a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For anyone who enters God rests, God's rest also rests from his own work, just as God did from his. Whew, there's a lot going on there, right? Here's kind of the big idea before we have another two-hour sermon here, okay? God has been at rest, according to this author, since the creation of the world. In Genesis 2, 1 through 3, the seventh day, it says that he rested from his work. Now, we know that God is still working ever since then. God has not been lounging out at the pool, um, you know, just hanging out, resting since Genesis 2. He's been very much active and very much working. So how is rest found amidst, in the midst of his continued work, right? The best way I can describe this is the way he's talking about this, the, the way the scriptures teach us about the rest that we have in Christ, when we're ushered into relationship with God through Jesus, rest, the rest indicated here is more of a state of things, more of a state of being that you and I are invited to, which is the rest of God. It's kind of a way of life in a way. So what is a state of rest? Well, if you look in Eden, what was the state of things? God with his people and no separation, nothing to keep them from each other, nothing to keep them from God. Being in the very presence of God is where rest is found. God created this place, the place, the man, uh, he placed the man in the garden, which was God's place, and he desired to be there with his people forever and ever, an unfettered and unbroken relationship. But we know after sin, they were kicked out of God's place because sin breaks that relationship. Now, many, many centuries and millennia later, God gathered a people out of this earth and led them to, to the promised land. And the promised land, in the way, signified the Garden of Eden all over again. Okay, when Solomon built his temple, he covered it in fruit trees, engravings and fruit trees. Why would he do that? Because he was imagining this temple where the presence of God was as, a, as a, the Garden of Eden point you know, 2.0 kind of thing. God's with us again. He's back, right? But it was more complicated because of sin. There's all these rituals and sacrifices and only, you know, a high priest could walk back behind the curtain only a few times a year and they had to tie a rope to his foot lest he walked in unclean and dropped dead and had to drag him out. Like, it was more complicated, right? Because sin was present, but even as they got into the promised land, they saw all of this. David was just like, ah, I don't know. I think, there's, I think there's something else. Like this is just a stepping stone. I think there's a greater rest here. In Psalm 95, centuries after Israel had been in the promised land, in God's place, David was still talking about a rest that God was offering to them, a different kind of rest being extended to his people. And apparently he could still be lost like that early generation of Israel. This deeper rest available throughout the years, it was, it was looking forward to a fulfillment in Jesus Christ. And so Jesus, when he died, his blood being shed for us, his death in our place, it opened up the opportunity for God's very spirit when we cast faith on his saving death, 
we receive new life through his resurrection by the giving of the Spirit to where the temple that was in a certain place is now found wherever his people are found. That is where God's presence is found. We're forgiven and cleansed for our sins, past, present, future, and he dwells with us. But yet the relationship by which we are close with the God of the universe through the work of Jesus Christ by the presence of the Holy Spirit, it is continually cultivated in our lives as we learn how to believe him, to love like him, to repent well when we find sin in our life and to embrace a life that is in his steps, walking as he did. This whole rest that we're talking of here, F.F. Bruce was a, a famous New Testament scholar. He had this to say about this passage. He says, this rest is a, it is a blissful rest, an unbroken fellowship with God. That is the goal to which in this passage that we are, we are urged to press forward to unbroken fellowship with God. That is the rest that the gospel extends to us. But why is there rest here? Why is there rest in God's presence as we embrace him and embrace um, life of being in him through our thoughts, motivations, actions, and feelings? This is kind of the core good news. if, If we want to define what it means to be a human being and look at the good news, this is so crucial to this that only through Christ can human beings come to God. Only in Christ is our existence, is who you are, justified. It is because through Jesus and his perfectly right living that we ourselves are accepted before God, that we are made right before him because Jesus was perfectly right before God. It is in Christ then that we receive God's approval. You are fully loved in Christ. Romans 5.1 says very clearly, therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God. There's no more enmity between us and God. The relational doors have been burst open. We have peace with God through the Lord Jesus Christ. God's love and acceptance. I want you to hear me out on this. This is a concept that is hard for us as Christians to sometimes understand. God's love and acceptance is fully on you. It is completely maxed out. I, I drive a stick shift, okay? I don't have to worry about my car ever getting stolen because a few people, you know, stick shifts are like a thing of yesteryear, okay? Um, you know, my kids wanted to know, like, what, are those, what does that stick do? What does that thing do? I let them hear first gear, you know, pretty wound out, revving up at the top, right? To where I didn't push it all the way. I put it pretty high. So if you think of, like, the RPMs on the car as God's love, like, it's maxed out. It's not going down. It's, it's at max, but it's stuck there. You can't lose his love that is cast on you, nor can you increase it. Because of what Jesus has done, his love is fully on you. In your failures, you are still embraced by God. This is part of the rest that he provides, friends. In your sin, there is always forgiveness and grace through repentance. And his love still rests on you. In our successes, we are still humbled because God doesn't say, wow, you're more successful than that person, so my love is yet a little bit of extra approval than that person over there. No, no. That's not how this works. It is maxed out on you. 
To find God is to fill the empty void in our life, and we only have access to God our Father of this universe through Jesus by the Spirit, as Ephesians 2.18 says very clearly, that we have access to God through Jesus. This is salvation, and this brings rest upon us because this all was made possible not by my work. I didn't have to work this out to get God's approval. Jesus himself worked it and earned it on my behalf because he was perfect. Something I can never could have done because sin is so present within me. This is why verse 9 and 10 says here in our passage, there remains then a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For anyone who enters God's rest also rests from his own work just as God did from his. This is what this means. If my children are not the next Michael Jordan on the basketball court, or the next Hank Aaron in baseball, or even if they are, that I can rest because their successes or failures in this area does not make me more approved or less improved as their dad before God. My value in my life is not dependent on my children's successes or failures. Because in Christ, I'm already approved by God. It doesn't mean that they, I don't want them to work hard on the basketball court or work hard in life by no means, but I'm already accepted by God. Their existence is already justified if they have faith in Jesus Christ. They're already brought near to God, and they're one of his children, and their value is now maxed out because the love of God is maxed out on them. This means that if Emmanuel becomes the, the next biggest megachurch beneath my watch, that God doesn't love me more because of it. Let's continue on. Let us therefore, in verse 11 in our text here, let us therefore make every effort to enter that rest. It's kind of a funny line. Let's work really hard at entering that rest. Like, what? It's kind of a you know, funny way to say that. So that no one will fall by following their example of disobedience, that first generation. We'll talk about that more in a second here. For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. Now let's just push pause at verse 11. That sounds like a paradox. Let's strive to enter that rest. Striving for something doesn't sound extraordinarily restful. Let's strive to enter that rest. Now, if all of this is available in Christ through faith, why am I having to make every effort to enter that rest? Haven't we just been talking about that it's already given to me in Christ, right? Now, pointing back to the disobedience of that generation in Israel, the author here says that we must strive to enter that rest lest we fall by following their example of disobedience. Here's how we can summarize their disobedience. If you grew up in any kind of religious home or environment or anything like that, disobedience may sound like, you know, oh, Christianity, it really is like that rule box of like, make sure you do this and do this and do this if you don't do these things and God is really mad at you. You know, it's just a bunch of rule keeping. That word for some, that's what makes you, you know, what you feel like. You're like, oh, I'm convulsed by that word disobedience. But let's, let's break this down. Their, their disobedience was marked by a lack of faith. That's where it came from. That was the source of it. It was marked by a lack of faith, not believing in the promises 
of God. That from God's perspective, we're already complete. He knows past, present, future. He said, I want to protect you from your enemies. Well, it was already there, but they didn't believe him, right? God said, I will deliver you. Like, I'm going to do it, Israel. And then they went into the promised land and saw their enemy. It was like, whoa, we'll never be able to do that. And there's God saying, oh, I, I, I know. I told you I would do it, not you. Are you listening? And they're like, that's just too much. There's no, there's no shot we can do that. I, I ain't doing that. I ain't going in there, right? When God said, I will provide your needs out in the wilderness, learn to trust me. And then they were saying, oh, I'm so thirsty. Where's our water going to come from? And there's God saying, oh, I t- did I not tell you? I'm going to give you water. I'm going to give you what you need. Do you believe that God truly loves you and accepts you because of what Jesus has done for you? Like, do you actually believe that? I want you just to... to Go back to this super basic question. Do you really believe it? I didn't ask you if you know he has. I am asking you rather if you truly believe he has. Do you really believe that God has sealed you with his Holy Spirit? That if you believe in Jesus this morning, that you cannot fall out of his grasp. That simple just repentance of sin always just restores you in unbroken fellowship back to him. That sin after sin is repentance and constant just grace and grace lavished upon you. That he loves you. That he's never going to say that, no, I'm done with you and my back is turned. He's never going to do that. Friends, do you believe that do you believe that whatever horrible thing you may have done in the past that you said i'm sorry god four thousand times and he says i've already forgiven you of that are you still dwelling on that you are a new creation that's done that person's gone that person's dead do you believe that this morning Do you believe that that stain of sin is cleansed as far away from your story as is the East is from the West? Do you believe that if you feel like I failed as a parent or I failed as a student or I failed as a friend, do you believe that all the insecurities you may have of your own abilities of life that it somehow have made you less valuable before others and before God? Are you insecure because of your job or your job position that it's not quite what, you know, your parents or friends may have and you feel so insecure like maybe I'm not somebody after all? Is that you this morning? If that's you, I need you to look to Jesus. And he says, I love you. Regardless of if you scrub toilets or you're the CEO of some company, like it doesn't matter to me. I died for you. Like I hung there on the cross because I love you. Are you letting him fill that void rather than your work? Are you letting him define who you are rather than your failures or your successes? Let him fill that void because nothing else will. And when you learn to do that, you know what you're going to find? Rest for your souls. Come to me, all who are weary, and I will give you rest from your souls. It begins in faith. This is a work that's already done on your behalf. Believe it, friends. 
I know that's the front door of Christianity is, believe, is to believe it, but there's also the reality that we have to keep on believing it, right? <laughs> it's, we, we, ha- we hit something new in life that's even harder than what's before, and you find your faith being tested all over again. Keep believing, friends. All of these things are an example that we just talked about of a lack of faith in the gospel. And you are thus experiencing a lack of rest from your works. Primarily the work of filling up that void of meaning in your life. And that disobedience is keeping you from resting in God. And it keeps you from actually sitting and resting when you maybe have that day off, the opportunity to sit, the opportunity to rest, right? Those, those Sabbath rests that God in his wisdom kind of ordained in our, in our work week, right? If you're, are you the type of person that can't sit? You have to kind of busy yourself up because you, your mind is just, you don't really want to be there. You, you don't really want to deal with some of the stuff there, so you just, you pick up this or you, cut, you kind of just putz around all day doing this kind of stuff when God is saying, I, why don't you just stop and just sit and open your ears and be with me? Can I please talk to you? I want to be with you. Stop pushing me away. Just sit and just be with me. Just take a rest from your work week and just sit in front of me. So a couple of questions I have for you this morning. Are you walking in here this morning exhausted from a completely over-the-top, maxed-out schedule? My question is, why? Why have you allowed your schedule to be so maxed out? Could it maybe be rooted in efforts to, to make something either more of yourself or to busy yourself up to not deal with those things or to maybe hopefully win the approval of others or that your kids may somehow make you something more and, and make your failures in life suddenly make you feel like you succeeded because you're making their life super busy with sports and everything when you just need to stop and say, no, no, no all that stuff, it, well, I'm, I'm working vainly here. I need to rest from my works and let the work of Christ provide rest for me. Number two, are you able to take a Sabbath rest? I really mean this. This is not some, we, we as elders kind of walk through this, like talking about this topic. Like, is it a sin to not take a Sabbath rest? What I mean is Sabbath rest, like a day of rest. Is it a sin? I don't think it's a sin, but it's not smart. You're not going to experience flourishing if you don't have that day of rest. It takes faith to have a day of rest. Yeah, maybe you can make an extra buck or two in that day, but maybe in faith, say, I'm just going to trust that God's going to provide. I'm going to take that day with my family. I'm going to take that day with him. I'm going to rest. And not just busy up another day full of stuff, but I'm going to sit with him and allow him to speak with me and I speak to him. The challenge presented to you this very afternoon, try resting, right? Consider turning off those screens for a while. Consider walking outside in nature, walking here in the city, whatever it might be, and enjoy being filled with the rest of God, with the freedom of his acceptance. Not by your works, but his. We'll close out here in Ephesians 2, 8 through 10. As as the Hebrews, the author here throughout, you know, the living, the words of God are living and active. So let this, these words I'm about to read to you that you may be familiar with, let these words be living and active in your life right now. Verse eight, and let's celebrate this this morning. For by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not your own doing. 
Friends, never lose the wonder of this simple gospel truth. You didn't earn this rest. It is given to you in grace. It is the gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. We are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in him. Orient yourselves towards those good works. And instead of saying, I have to get this or I have to do this, I get to do this because God already approves of me. And I can't wait to work and labor for him. So I'm gonna call the worship team up at this point to come forward. I'm gonna pray for us. If God was stirring in your heart, please take these next few moments in this last song to allow him to take that word home if, if repentance is needed this morning or encouragement, we are going to have people available for prayer. Um, we will have the meeting right after the song, but if you need prayer, we'll, we will gladly step out with you in the back hallway and, and pray for you. Don't leave here if something's stirring without dealing with it, without allowing God to fully have his way with you this morning. The Holy Spirit is speaking today. That's what we read this morning. He is active in this room today. And if you feel that stirring, that is the Holy Spirit speaking to you. And you need to listen to him. Jesus, I pray, give us open ears to hear, Lord. The constant busyness that we often engage in, Lord, can just can block off, Lord, uh, just the ability to sometimes hear from you, that relational disharmony that can come from our lack of faith, Lord. Restore the weary in this room this morning. Breathe life into them this morning. May they catch just another glimpse of your grace and your love in ways that they have not seen in many, many years, Lord. Even for those in this room who may need to see it for the very first time, Lord, open their eyes to see how much you love love them. Lord Isaiah 46 said that as you hung there, it, it, it says that our names were engraved on the palms of your hands. Lord, help us to just know the depths and the heights and the widths of your love that is deepest as the deepest ocean. Lord, thank you, Jesus. We pray this in your name. Amen. is all I am longing for here in the secret place your nearness is all I am waiting for here in the quiet place here in the quiet My soul waits for you alone Like the watchmen wait for dawn Here I finally found the place 
Your presence, God. 